1: You're listening to the Naked Bible Podcast. To support this podcast, go to NakedBiblePodcast.com and click on the support link in the upper right-hand corner. If you're new to the podcast and Dr. Heiser's approach to the Bible, click on New Start Here at NakedBiblePodcast.com.
0: Welcome to the Naked Bible Podcast, episode 374, our 45th q and I'm the layman, Trey Strickland, and he's the scholar, Dr. Michael Heiser. Hey, Mike.
1: What's going on? Well, not a whole lot uh, personally. I mean, we're wrapping up the uh, semester in a couple of weeks, and that means the summer will come, which means I get more time to write. So, I'm I'm glad, you know, that that's sort of turning a corner. I always look forward to that. Any uh writing? When you say writing, are we going to Oh yeah.
0: Are we are we get the prophecy the Astral Prophecy Book, or
1: no, no, novel? no. I, that that's that's on the back burner. That's that's taking a back seat to yeah. some other things. Even that's about all I can say. Even the novel? Yeah. Well, the novel I can mention. Yeah, that's part of it. But okay, yeah, there's some the, other things right. that I, I I can't divulge right now.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. All right. Well, Mike, is there anything going on out there in the world, internationally or domestically, about biblical stuff?
1: Yeah. You know, I the, I had a, a friend uh send me a link to a recent um you know study about u- the use of artificial intelligence and in the dead sea scrolls the the headline that that uh, they they sent was ai unlocks ancient dead sea scrolls mystery so that's good for cl- clickbait uh, but it's legit you know it's not just one of these you know sort of you know scam articles that are going to you know capture your information and send you all sorts of stuff you're not interested in It's what what it's about is that um, they're trying to apply artificial intelligence to recognize patterns in in letter styles, so that they can hopefully identify specific scribal hands in Dead Sea scrolls. Because it it, you know the the article is a little bit misleading. Like it'll say something like you know all these Dead Sea scrolls were written in an almost uniform style. Well, yeah, some letters you know, but it, you know, when when I was in grad school, we had to read you know things like uh, Frank Moore Cross from Harvard. He had, he did a very famous, now famous article on uh, scribal hands. You know, paleography, uh, letter formations. Um, and he has a he has a whole typology, and and his typology was actually used to to date uh, Dead Sea scrolls because you could match the letter style two texts that had something in them that was actually datable like somebody's name or some event and it, and his work has really stood up over you know over the test of time so it's long been known that that more than one scribe produced these things even individual texts that, that there were different scribal hands so that's a little misleading it's this this isn't like the first time this is known but what they're doing is they they're using artificial intelligence to detect very specific you know minute Changes in letter style, and essentially to search through scrolls for that and isolate which sections belong to which scribe, you know, scribe A or B or C or st- something like that. So it's interesting. You know, it, the, the results of it, I guess, if it's applied, you know, might tell you which scribe, in theory, it should tell you which scribe worked on which texts and where they worked. And then you can sort of, I don't know that they're going to do this, but. You could sort of grade the scribes like, okay, this guy's guilty of you know fifteen errors in the scrolls. This guy only only screwed up eight times, so he's a better scribe than the first guy. You know, I don't know what they're actually going to do with it as as far as evaluation, but it's interesting. Um, Yeah, it's it's an interesting option of technology, you know, to to get it this kind of information.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, AI's gonna take over everything. So it doesn't surprise me that they would use that in the biblical world. It's probably
1: going to unlock some kind of hidden Bible code. Yeah. <laughs> right. right, or or at least provide material that someone can invent yeah. yet another Bible code. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's prob- my, my money's on, on the invention side of it more than, than anything real and quantifiable. Absolutely, Michael. Well, that's good stuff.
0: Well, is there anything else going on in the world that you feel the need to talk about?
1: no not really no i know we got some some questions some what what questions number here. of q a is this this is our 45th and uh uh wow. 45 well we're almost at
0: like the golden anniversary of right. q a's uh, are, are we going to get each other anything
1: for our 50th <laughs> <laughs> yeah well maybe uh you can get me maybe an updated copy of microsoft word or something like
0: that. yeah that'd be really sweet yeah, just
1: Really romantic. Yeah, game, for, right. for our notes. Yeah. yeah. yeah
0: well, well, Hey, since this is a Q&A, that's I want re- to remind people out there that uh, be collecting your thoughts on Revelation, because at the end of it, uh, we're going to do a, uh, a specific Q&A on Revelation. So email me at tracetrickland at gmail.com uh, with your Revelation questions. And if you could help me out, put Revelation uh, in the subject line. I'm going to be collecting those, Mike, and uh, we're going to try to
1: tackle as
0: many as we can at the end of revolution see, now
1: you know what's going to happen you know what's going to happen with us what's that people are going to are going to sneak in questions that that t- to get at different end time systems you know what to see what i think about different end time systems that's what that's what's going to happen right there you, we, we, so we if you're just... listening out there and and that's the plan my answers gonna, are going to be real short <laughs> how many ways can i say i don't care um you know, uh, they will probably be a little have a little more substance than that. But I, I'm already on to you. If that's you, I'm on to you before it, we even get started. Uh, yada. Maybe we should just have an whole episode just where
0: you uh, tear down, break down specific end times
1: prophecies, and
0: then pick pick it apart.
1: Yeah, I've actually already done that on on my website drmsh dot com. The series of why an obsession with eschatology is a yeah, waste of time. That. So yeah, people that. can read through that, you know, and then they they can they can take what's there and they'll they'll know how to, you know, how to argue against somebody else's position. But they'll also hopefully be awakened to the fact that oh, somebody else could read this and argue against my position. You know, so. You know, I don't. I don't know that we need to repeat that. But see that 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 might be the answer to those questions. Oh, read number six. Yeah. You know, on the list of blog yeah. posts or something like yeah, that. There so you there you go. Yeah, I forgot about that. So uh, you're right about that article.
0: But it it would be nice to get in podcast form too. Maybe, maybe not.
1: Well, maybe maybe that'll be your 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 fiftieth Q and A. That'll be my fiftieth Q and A present, and no, I appreciate that. For another Q and A.
0: Sounds great. <laughs> All right, yeah. Mike. Well, I can,
1: I can, I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice, you know, as, yeah. as we speak.
0: All right, Mike. Try well, to contain
1: yourself. Dre.
0: Yeah. <laughs> very hard, very hard to do, Mike. You're such a sweet, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that. All right, Mike. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get through our questions here. We got some good, well, questions. It, it ended well.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> we got some good questions from All some right. good people here. So let's, let's just get at it. Uh, our first one's from Jason from Tempe, Arizona, and his question is what does the Bible mean when it refers to gods that came recently Deuteronomy 32:17 and Psalm 80:10 in the Septuagint? Does this recency refer to the glorification of beings that were previously in some way like humans, i.e. believers in the most high God? who later were glorified and given responsibilities to protect and govern a subsequent generation of mortal beings. To me, this seems somehow like a repeating cycle, since Paul refers to believers being transformed at the second coming, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, And John refers to believers as being called sons of God, 1 John 3, 1. Recency of Godhood is mentioned in the Septuagint Psalm 80, which in modern Bibles is Psalm 81. And Psalm eighty ten reads verse nine, mm-hmm. there shall be no recent God among you, nor shall you do obeisance to a foreign God. What is it about the gods that make them not only created, but also
1: recent? Yeah, the, the answer to this is a lot simpler than the, the question might suggest. And Jason actually has the answer in the question. And that is psalm eighty verse ten, so you know the the talk about transformation believers you know humans being transformed it is all eschatological there there's no there's nothing in scripture that refers to this happening in the past, so the repeating cycle is is just something that is sort of an idea imported into the text there's really no basis for that, but the answer again is a lot simpler. the idea of of recent gods refers to the gods. Just think of Deuteronomy 32, okay? Deuteronomy 32, 17. They they didn't, you know, worship God. They worshiped, you know, these other gods. They worshiped Shadim, you know, gods they had not known. And then, again, you get this recency language in it. This refers to gods that Israel encountered since the Exodus period, as opposed to the god whom their fathers and ancestors had worshipped centuries prior to that. In other words, Yahweh. So to worship a different God than your ancestors did, that's a recent God. It's a more you know, recent God. And, and by definition, it would be a foreign God. It would be a different God. And if you look at Psalm 80, verse 10, you know, which, uh, again, you, you had read, but I'm, I'm going to read from the Lexham English Septuagint here. There will not be a new God in you, nor will you bow down to a foreign God. Well, there you have the new God language, and in parallel, it's parallel, the idea is to foreign. So new God, foreign God, right there is the answer uh, in the verse. So these recent gods, these recent deities that Israel was was worshipping and shouldn't have been worshipping, are gods that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their forefathers, of course, at the Exodus, did not, you know, and, and so Deuteronomy 32, again, even if Moses wrote that, the answer is still, you know, pertinent because he's referring to the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, if if somebody else wrote Deuteronomy 32, or again, there's you know, this whole question of editorial activity and, and the authorship of the Torah. Well, then we would loop Moses into that because obviously you know, the Israelites coming out of Egypt are they're going to go to Sinai, they're going to they're going to enter into a covenant with Yahweh. And the notion of you know Moses either forecasting that you know you're going to go after other gods or you know that they in fact already have, depending again on the authorship, just you know speaks to the issue. Recent means he's, you know, th- This wasn't who you who your fathers worshipped. It wasn't who you know you entered into covenant with. Who who are these newbies? You know that that sort of thing. So again, the the answer I think is pretty more pretty more straightforward or pretty much straightforward than you know the question might suggest. George from
0: Woodsville, New Hampshire, asks: Are there any female Upkalu? If not, how can Gilgamesh be two-thirds Upkalu?
1: Well, let's take the first part. Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any icon iconography or anything textually that says there were female Apkalu. That doesn't. I, I know the implication of the second part of the question: If not, how can Gilgamesh be two-thirds Apkalu? Well, if If both male and female Apkalu existed, Gilgamesh would be completely Apkalu. So that's one thing. But the reason why he's two-thirds is because the post-flood Apkalu, again, were in in some cuneiform material, were quote-unquote of human descent. That's why you only get the two-thirds. And hence the parallel to Genesis 6, 1 through 4 that I've talked about in, in Unseen Realm and Reversing Hermon and, and the demon's book, all three of those books address the Opkahu the context, which draws on the work of Amar Anus as far as the kineiform the material for this. All right. Becky has a
0: question about first Samuel twenty-seven, and I'm gonna leave it up to you, Mike, to read the verses. But she wants to know okay, so in the past, um she just considered first Samuel twenty seven. Considered this straying from God, but now with the specific listing of the nations invaded, she wonders if this wasn't David carrying out
1: the directions to
0: Joshua to wipe out these nations.
1: Yeah, I think I think the the verses were uh, verse verse eight and following. And I might as well just read those for um, for the audience. So it says, "Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites." For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as shore to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away sheep, oxen, and donkeys, camels, garments. Come back to Akish, which is where he was, uh, or at least the the, the person you know, he sort of was reporting to at this time in his life, anyway. When Akish asked, "Where have you made a raid?" You know, today David would say, "Ah, oh, you know, this, that, and the other place, so on and so forth." So the the, the rest of this we don't really need to. To read, it's really those first two verses. But he, he's going up making raids against the Geshurites, Gerzeites, Amalekites, and then he strikes the land, would leave leave, leave, leave excuse me, neither man or woman alive. Uh, I I tend to agree, you know that uh, what we have here is this this edit. There's an editorial comment in here, and by that I don't necessarily mean an editorial hand. I mean just in the text. These were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as shore. Okay. Um, if you recall from the Exodus series uh, in the on po- the podcast, we talked about the Amalekites and they they do have a relationship to the giant clans. so th- there you have your your clues right there. this inhabitants of the land from of old in the reference to the Amalekites um, their their heritage, the Amalekites anyway can be traced to the Horites and, and if you want to listen to all that material uh, it's episode uh, 283 on uh, Exodus seventeen. So, you know, this this is part in, in that case, you know, it's it's sort of a, a precursor to what Moses and later Joshua are gonna run into in the land as far as you know opposition from the giant clans. In other words, it seeds that thought or what's gonna become a recurring motif. And really, in my view, what really defines this the rationale for for the the, the conquest in terms of you know the the verbs of killing, you know, the kharam. The, the the, the holy war, quote unquote, you know, those elements of the conquest are, are really about the elimination of the giant clans and those that, you know, are perceived to extend from, from the Nephilim. Now, what about the Gesherites and the Gerzites though? So I, again, I agree in, in principle that this is what's going on. And I think the Gesherites and the Gerzites are part of this. And there's actually a, a text critical issue that, that makes it really doubtful that this is going to sound odd but that the Gerzites even ever existed. But let me just let me just track through. So you have two options on the Gesherites and the Gerzites and I I'm just going to read a little bit here. I looked up the uh both terms from Anchor Bible dictionary and it, these were this is actually going to be part of a presentation I gave a couple of years ago uh in Lubbock, Texas when I went through the the uh the people group names. But ABD notes, quote, the inhabitants, you know, the the Geshurites and Gerzites were the inhabitants of an area southeast of Philistia, between Philistia and Sinai, according to Joshua 13.2. When David fled from Saul and resided in Philistia by permission of Achish, which is 1 Samuel 27, he executed forays against the Geshurites and despoiled them thoroughly. And then another note from the same source, you have uh, this ABD writes, the inhabitants of a district, Gesher, bounded on, by Gilead on the south, Bashan on the east, and Mount Hermon in the north, according to Joshua 13.11. They were Arameans who, with the Ma'akathites, remained Israel's neighbors on Israel's northeast extremity. So you get a connection there to the in terms of the northern border with uh, Bashan and uh, Mount Hermon. So... Based on taking this a little further, based on Joshua twelve five thirteen two, Joshua thirteen eleven, Joshua thirteen thirteen, Lepinski in, in this article, I've referenced this article before on uh, on the podcast. This is Lepinski's article about El's abode, El you know, the, the the Canaanite deity, his abode, which is he argues very very effectively was originally Mount Hermon. This was the seat of the gods all the way back to the, to Sumerian times, and of course this is right. At at the you know the, the border of of uh, Bashan, okay, the region of Bashan. So Lipinski writes the biblical story, again based on these passages in Joshua, implies the existence of Manassite settlements in Bashan, which should probably be linked with Jeroboam Jeroboam II's conquests in the area. In earlier times, this region belonged at least partly to the kings of Geshur, okay, later the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, the kingdom of Gesher or Beth Ma'aka, extended for 40 kilometers north of the Sea of Galilee. So all this this whole region, and that, that much would, of course, would be in the land, uh, the parameters of the land that was promised uh, to Abraham and his descendants. So consequently, the Gesherites were residents in Amorite territory associated with Sion and Og of Bashan, okay? kings of the Amorites. Uh, Og was a giant okay the last of the Rephaim, though the Geshurites in you know, there's no verse that explicitly calls them Amorites they they are in this territory this would mean that the first option the Geshurites were inhabiting an area in the south near Philistia is not really you know the, the point of the reference you know, at least for you know the conquest narrative so so going back to the to anchor bible dictionaries those two options it's really the second one that the geshurites were talking about uh, would were inhabitants of a district geshur again up up toward the north so you know how do we look at this you know we, we've got david going after these these geshurites and you, you you could argue that there were two separate groups one in the south one in the north and so you know a, a scholar would look at this and say well the, the you know the geshurites we have to keep these two groups separate so on and so forth but to me, that that actually isn't that clear because okay, you have Geshurites in both locations. I get it. One location is very obviously associated with the giant clans. The other location, again, is is southeast of Philistia, between Philistia and Sinai. But you get this association with the Amalekites as well. So so you have these these people groups. One of them, at least clearly, the Amalekites, is part of the giant clan traditions, living together. So, regardless of which set of Gesherites you know we're talking about, and if it's if we're talking about Akish, who's down in the south, it would be the, it would be that group. I still think you have a connection to to giant clan thinking and giant clan people groups. That there, that this association is still, you know, still legit. It, it it has, it has some explanatory power here. Now, let's go to the Gerzites, and they're also mentioned in 1 Samuel twenty seven eight. Now, if the above is correct that the Geshurites, you know, about the Geshurites and all that, you know, what, what about this other group? Well, in fact, the Geshurites may never have existed. Anchor Bible Dictionary notes this, the scholarly consensus is that the Gerzites, unknown from any other source, not, not just in the Bible, but anywhere else, okay, unknown from any other source, most probably did not exist, already the masoretic text corrected the kathiv reading gerzi to the Kare reading gizri okay gezrites meaning the inhabitants of gezer which also is in the north by the way now what what that what that means in english let me let me just finish the quote gezer however lies much too far to the north to fit the context of this particular passage um, Evidence from the Septuagint would indicate the Masoretic text reading either represents a conflate text representing two variants in Geshrites or Gerzites, Geshrites, or is the result of a ditography of Geshrites. Ditography means an accidental duplication of a term. Now, in English, what this means is that what the Masoretic text has, the way it's spelled, scribes themselves corrected so that it read Geshrites instead of Gerzites. The Kathiv reading is Kithiv is a term that means what is written, in other words, what the text you know shows you, what you're looking at in the text. And then a scribe would 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 in the column put a care. This is what should be read. So here's, here's what's written, here's what should be read. So the you know, the ancient scribal traditions actually already make this this correction. And so if the correction is correct, if we're if we're dealing with people of Gezer, then there's no such thing as as Gerzites. Okay, they're they're just people of Gezer. They're not some other group. So it's it's a it would be a misspelling that that has created this people group that we find in our English Bibles. Uh, again, regardless, if if it is the, the the Gezerites, yeah, they're in the north. They're in the north, and and they they wouldn't, you know, they they wouldn't really apply to. So the explanation goes, they wouldn't really apply to David's forays because David's operating in the south. Well, okay. How, how do we know that that some people from, from Gezer, you know, weren't weren't living down there as well? Well, the short answer is we don't. You don't have to have a city. You just have to have some people who, this is where they come from. They happen to be there when David does these raids. And somebody takes note of it. Again, whoever's writing, you know, 1 Samuel 27, that there were people from Gezer there too. And Gezer, of course, is included in the conquest. Obviously, the original, you know, conquest of the land. And because of its location in proximity to places like Bashan, uh, and and there are other reasons that you know we can't really get into all this in in, in detail in the Q and A, but there are other reasons that they they have linkages back into this these giant clan traditions. Um, their their inclusion in the in the idea at least still you know deserves attention, still has some merit. So anyway, again that that that's kind of a long answer to this. To really the, the the fundamental point of the question is, is what David is doing here is a sort of a mimicking of Joshua, kind of a a wiping out, and a wiping up, if I can say it that way, of of the the conquest um rationale, the conquest purpose in, in terms of the elimination of specific peoples because of the association with giant clans. And yeah, I think there's something to that here. Uh, And again, I think that that little line in there, these were the nations of old, okay, I I think is designed to, to take the reader's mind in that direction. Bob
0: has a question, and he wants to know that Scripture tells us that we will rule with Christ after his second coming. My question is, what do we rule over? Since the unbelievers will be in the lake of fire and believers will be rulers with Christ, what will we be responsible for ruling?
1: This is a, you know, I wish I had a dollar for every time I get asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that could, I could get you that anniversary gift then, Trey. He asked, have, have what five like dollars?" <laughs> no, no, I'd probably have fifty dollars. Oh, okay. Um, he he asked in the first part, "What do we rule over?" But then the second part of the question is really getting at, "Who do we rule over?" Those are two different things. You know, what we rule over is the earth, specifically the new earth, the new earth, the new, earth, the new Eden. Um, and yeah, it's going to be populated by believers, you know, with, with, with Jesus, you know, we, we need to stop thinking about our, our rulership in the new earth as who do I get to be the boss of, or who do I outrank, you know, and get, and get to sort of give orders in a, in a nice post-apocalyptic, uh, new Eden sort of way. Uh, you need to start thinking about the rulership in the New Eden as partnership. We are we are there with fellow believers. We're all equal imagers of God. We are co-rulers. We are, you know, with Jesus. We are steward kings. Basically, what we're going to be doing in the, in the New Earth is, you know, quote unquote, ruling over the Earth, which really means we're going to be living like Adam and Eve would have lived. And of course, their children had there never been a fall. You know, Genesis 1.28, the dominion language there, let them have dominion over the Earth. It's the same lemma in the Septuagint, anyway, as we see in Romans 1512, where we have the, the Messiah again and you know looping in the rule of the Gentiles. We're granted to rule with him in Revelation two twenty six and three twenty-four. Uh so I I think the whole question just needs to be reframed that you know, when it when it gets to the end of the eschaton, when everything plays out, we have a new global Eden. Everything is going to sort of return, you know, hit the reset button to what it should have been, what it could have been without rebellion. And so we are going to be steward kings of the planet. We're going to enjoy it as it was meant to be enjoyed. And we are going to, again, do the sorts of activities that Adam and Eve would have been doing in that environment together, collectively as one family so it 's not that we have other people to lord over it's that we have other people to rule with you know alongside of so again that that's the short answer to that there's a lot in there to unpack obviously, but that's the that that 's the short answer to i think a a very reasonable question and a very common one
0: so does that mean i got to start working out if we're going to be like Adam and Eve or <laughs>
1: We're gonna have clothes because I need to start working out. I, you know, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, no yeah. It, 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 it figures you'd, you'd, you'd pull something like that
0: right out of the answer. <laughs> so, so you're telling me we're a bunch of nudists?
1: I'll, yeah. And, I'll, I'll say I'll say your your glorified body will probably take care of that. That's awesome. You know, and and if we want to get silly theological. You know Jesus, when he when in his resurrected body, he had new clothing too that he didn't have before. So you'll probably get new clothing anyway. So I don't think you need to worry about uh, that. We'll we'll, uh, we'll still know it's you.
0: Well, I'll probably be in. The if you nudist, want a better body, maybe you'll have one, but
1: we'll still uh, know it's you. Yeah, unless you sure. want to be a nudist, I guess. You know, yeah. I'm, then you can. You, you're on your own there, Trace. I'll be going O <laughs> G. Me and, me and Adam. You know, we'll be down by yeah, the Yeah, I think I think the Lord'll uh, just I think the Lord'll just take one look at you and say, Well, there's always one of those in the crowd. You know, it's yeah. just what are you gonna do? Yeah. There's always somebody like that.
0: All right. Well, looking forward to it.
1: Even here. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well looking forward to it. All right, Mike. Um well that's it, man. We got uh uh we're in and out with this one. We only had uh those yeah. four or five questions, so um we're gonna be a short one today. But uh we appreciate you it's okay answering our questions. It is okay. We appreciate everybody sending me your questions. Obviously, we can't get to them all. But uh, nonetheless, we appreciate it. And also, I can't reply to everybody. So I apologize once again if I can't respond to you, Mike, because uh, I don't even have a disclaimer up. Because it's my personal email, so I can't be putting up a, a auto-disclaimer. Right. But just know, I get your emails. I read them. I appreciate it. And uh, we thank you for sending those in and for you, Mike, answering those questions. And with that, I want to thank everybody listening to the Naked Bible Podcast. God bless.
1: Thanks for listening to the Naked Bible Podcast. To support this podcast, visit www.NakedBibleBlog.com. To learn more about Dr. Heiser's other websites and blogs, go to www.ermsh.com.